Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Listener questions live on Friday afternoon. The Bengals, I believe, are practicing as we are recording this show live. Coming at you, I'm Anthony Cazenza, John Sheeran. A jam-packed week for our show. A jam-packed week for the Bengals. And uh, here we are. It's at the end of the week. And a lot of stuff going on. A lot of good stuff going on, John. How, How are you? I'm doing great. Primarily because over the last 48 hours since our Wednesday show, we did a live charity fundraiser. For Ken Anderson Alliance, the Anthony Munoz Foundation, and the Ken Riley Foundation, we raised over $330 that night. And in the 48 hours since, our total donation total right now is at $834, which is outstanding. We had a lot of donations pour in over the last two days over Twitter. Just looking at the notable donations, Nick Nick Suberling, our good buddy, donated $100. John Harden, listener of the show, $15. Russell Behrman, $10. Steve Zorns, $25. John Walker, I believe is a Captain America character, $10. And we had an anonymous donation of $30. And Bob Arneson with a $200 donation. I wanted to start off the show with positive note. Thank you, everyone, for your support. Um, in, in helping out this charity fund. We were up to $834 after just two days of this. So I'm in a great mood, Anthony. I don't know about you. Well, thanks for updating us on that. I did put the donation link on all of the platforms if you're watching us live. So it's in the chat. Please go to, even if it's, hey, 13 bucks for Ken Riley's jersey number, 14 bucks for Ken Anderson's number, seven bucks or eight bucks for Anthony Munoz's number, or, you know, 78 bucks if you want to go that high, whatever. If you can just toss a little bit, that would be awesome. This is not going to John and I. This is going to those three charities. As it stands right now, it looks like most, if not all, of the donors will get some form of a prize. Um, how big of one, we're not sure. But, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of prizes to give out. And so if you do donate, be sure to get us your contact information. A little bit of other breaking news not fully set in stone in terms of time at this point, but we have been in contact, continuing to be in contact with Anthony Munoz's representatives. And it looks like we'll be chatting with him sometime on Wednesday of next week. So we're getting all three players on the show who were inducted in the Bengals ring of honor. And what we want to do is we're going to continue to run the charity through when Munoz is supposed to come on the show. And then hopefully we have a sizable donation to give all three charities Thanks to all of you. So I wanted to break break that news, and I wanted to uh, allow you to update us on the on the donation front, John. We we appreciate all the donations so far, uh, and this is this is just something we want to do to kick off training camp and honor those guys and give them a little pat on the back for uh, their rightful place in the Ring of Honor. And thank you to Mr. Ken Anderson and Ken Riley II for coming on the show Wednesday. That was a lot of fun. It was a longer show, but well worth it. Please go check it out how you can now. Before we get to questions, we've already got some queued up. You can get to those to us in a number of different ways. There are a number of live chats going right now, whether it's the comment section on the Cincy Jungle post, whether it's on Twitter at Bengals OBI or Cincy Jungle's Twitter handle, whether it's in the live YouTube chat or Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. Get us your questions. We're going to answer them on the air. Uh, We've got a few queued up. You can also call or text 949-542-6241. If you've never called us before, give us a shot. We'll we'll try and get you on the air. If you haven't texted us before, 
shoot us a line. We'd like to hear from you. And then, of course, we're monitoring the email as well, the obinsider at gmail.com. John, let's bat, let's bat Lita. The, the MLB trade deadline is coming up, so uh, I'll use a baseball reference. You want to bat lead off for us and kick us off here? Yeah, the deadline's in full swing right now. Apparently, the Reds have gotten like a mul- multiple relievers into their bullpen. But yeah, let's let's go ahead and start with Twitter here. We have Aaron Barker at Meme Bengal. Uh, welcome back to the mailbag, Aaron. He's asking about Jackson Carmen essentially. So um, Frank Pollock, I believe, talked about the competition at the guard spot. He said that both Quinn Spain and Xavier Suafilo are the starters right now, and Jackson Carmen essentially has to earn a one of those starting spots, maybe specifically a right guard over Suofilo. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's asking, after Michael Jordan was rushed, I confess to being perfectly fine with this, being Xavier Suofilo starting ahead of Jackson Carmen as camp begins. I only want Carmen starting when Pollock says he is ready. Xavier Suofilo is a good vet in the meantime. What say you guys? There, This is a double-edged sword to me here, John, because... It tells you, number one, that there may be some signs, at least in the eyes of Frank Pollock, maybe some of the offensive coaches, that Jackson Carmen is not ready. Um, and that's okay in a lot of ways. But the point is, is, you know, the Bengals in some recent years, and this predates even Zach Taylor, they have yet to get some high yields out of some of their high round draft picks. You know, in the, in the first three rounds, a lot of times they've had some misses over the past half decade or so. I mean, there's some big hits in there as well. But, you know, when you're the point is, is the Bengals needed offensive line help in the draft. They got it in the form of Carmen in the second round. And now, somewhat predictably, they're saying he's maybe not ready to start. Um, it's a little concerning to me uh, just because I think he is one of the most important players, if not the most important player, day one in this draft class. A lot of people could argue Jamar Chase, and I would understand that. But just because of where the offensive line has been, he is a very important player to this team. But uh, I also like the idea of, of breeding competition, earning your spot, and not just giving it to somebody that may or may not be earning earning their keep at a spot. And uh, unfortunately, I think that may have been some of the issues, whether it's the Marvin era, Zach Taylor era, that has that has plagued this roster. Guys maybe getting spots that they haven't they haven't rightfully earned. So. Double-edged sword for me. I think this is mainly about optics, which is what our good friend Zim Hude was talking about on Twitter. Like the fact that, you know, they went wide receiver in round one and passed up on every offensive lineman available to go back in round two and select an offensive lineman. You have to think that a guy that they would have, that they said would have selected at the 30th overall spot, he would be good enough in their eyes to basically start day one. And I still don't feel like that's um, incorrect. I still feel like they, they think that, of Jackson Carmen, but at the same time, you know, this is a process. It's a learning curve for him to eventually acclimate himself into a new position. So I think it really just is the optics of them spending a second round pick on this guy and him not being the day one starter on training camp. It looks a little bit off and it like, I guess plants a little bit of nervousness in the back of your mind. But I think as long as Carmen eventually gets those opportunities to earn that spot, I think that's all that, we can really ask for from from our perspective of the situation. And now, if Carmen just isn't good enough to take that spot in year one, then that's that's just what it is. They have Suofilo still here for that exact purpose to, to be able to start in case the second round pick isn't able to. And if he isn't, then I guess that's kind of just, it doesn't look great for Pollock and, and Taylor in general to invest the second round pick in this guy and him not being able to contribute immediately. I, the game has changed to the point where you know offensive linemen they're still not. 100% great out of the gate, but you still expect these guys to contribute early if they're drafted this high. So I think right now it's just about optics. And as long as Carmen eventually, as camp progresses, gets those opportunities to take those reps from Suofilo, I think this thing will kind of work it, work it out itself. Additionally, Friday, we, we might have – should have coined Friday, July 30th, 2021, Frank Pollock Day because there is a ton of Frank Pollock news, quotes, all that kind of stuff coming over the wire. There was some talk uh, from Trey Hopkins about – Frank Pollock and his impact on the, on the offensive line. And then of course you had this, this quote about Jackson Carmen. And then you've got uh, on top of that, John, the Ben baby dropped a little note that, you know, Frank Pollock said that Jonah Williams need to put on a little weight. He's a little small for NFL 
tackles, at least by his standards. So it sounded like Jonah Williams put on about 10 pounds, whether that's all muscle, whether that's some muscle and just mass, I don't know. But the Frank Pollock effect in general is being felt as we as we figured it would, but it, it, it seems as if he's kind of putting his thumbprint on things pretty early on here. Yeah, and like there's no one who's talked about Frank Pollock that doesn't have a high opinion of him. I think with Jim Turner, it was a little bit more of a polarizing debate, but I think everyone is buying in to what Frank Pollock is saying and what he's coaching. Trey Hopkins was talking about him the other day and you know how much of a difference that he made in Hopkins' game. He's the one who saw him as a center, and ever since Hopkins has been at center, he's got a $20 million contract to his name. So there's definitely a lot of faith in, in him and what he's doing. He actually got Jonah Williams to gain about 10 pounds this offseason because he he told Jonah that he's probably a little bit undersized to be a tackle. So, you know, there's definitely definitely confidence in what Pollock is saying. And, you know, until the results showed otherwise, I think there, there will be that instilled confidence going into the season. A little bit more on the offensive line here, given the questions that – um, we've been receiving, by the way, feel free to submit yours to us um, when you when you get the chance here. John, the next one is basically, you know, it's from uh, the 912 area code. I believe that is Michael J. Uh, the bigger impact on the team this year, Riley Reef or Mike Hilton, the two of the biggest free agent acquisitions that the Bengals have made. So I, I think a lot of us, as we talk about the offensive line, we, we've pounded the offensive line table for basically years now. It's easy to say Riley Reef, but there is a good argument for Mike Hilton based on what he brings to a defense that is sorely lacking in quarterback pressures and sacks, a forte of this slot corner, and in need of turnovers, a, a guy who can create those. So, I mean, it's not – while you, at first blush for me, I'm like, well, Reef, right? I mean, it's just you replace Bobby Hart and offensive line has issues, but it's a little closer – then when you first look at it, at least to me, I would still say Reef has the bigger impact if he plays as expected. But the Hilton signing is nothing to sneeze at either. It's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, the the answer is Reef just because of what he is tasked to prevent, which is just naturally that's inherently more impactful. As long as your quarterback is healthy, you have a chance. If your slot cornerback doesn't exactly play at a top five, top ten level, it's not the worst thing in the world. But to your point, with Hilton, I think the addition of him compared to a guy like Mackenzie Alexander, the difference is impact plays just in terms of tackles for loss, sacks, potentially forced fumbles, break, you know, pass breakups on third down conversions. I think that is what he's expected to do. He's expected to be more of an impactful player at that position than his predecessor. But at the end of the day, if you just have like an average slot cornerback, which Mike Hilton is entirely capable of being, it's not the end of the world. But if Riley Reef does not perform at an average level, which is the expectation for him, then that changes a lot of things for the offense. I kind of looked at also, like you said, the, the performance of the predecessor in 2020 at both of these spots. And I feel like the Mackenzie Alexander to Mike Hilton gap was less, um, was a little closer in terms of overall performance than it was maybe for Riley Reef versus Bobby Hart. Now, Bobby Hart, a lot of people, we all love to pile on him, but he did only have basically he had a 66.3 PFF grade. Riley Reef was in the 71 range, so there's not a big chasm there. Where there is the big uh, difference between Hart and Reef, you had three penalties for for Bobby Hart at least was credited by PFF, four sacks allowed uh, credited by PFF, and one apiece for Riley Reef. Uh, credited by PFF. So that's kind of the big difference there, at least um, from those from those positions. I think Mackenzie Alexander gave him some nice things out of the slot last year. I think Mike Hilton will give them maybe a little bit more, but I just, I, again, I go back, even though the PFF overall scores, there's not a big difference between Hart and Reef from 2020. I, I still think that the talent gap between what was there at right tackle, what will be there at right tackle this year and slot corner last year and this year, I, I think that's kind of where we still lean towards the offensive line. 100%. Uh, we're going to go to Mark Fry in the YouTube comment section. He's asking, will Jesse Bates get his contract extension before the season starts? And what do you think that contract will look like? Well, I think we can both agree that the extension is going to come. I guess really, you know, we, we can talk about projecting what it looks like, but do you think that it's important, Anthony, for this contract to reset the safety market for Bates' perspective? And do you think 
that that could be something that, you know, delays this extension from coming? Or is it just something that's going to naturally take a while in the negotiation process? So it's a good question. And I just want to be clear that I want to be clear of what you're specifically asking. Is it important to reset the market in terms of important to Jesse Bates and being the highest paid safety, that that type of thing? Is that kind of what you're what More you're or asking? less, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I think so. I think so. And I think he wants to be known. You know, there was a, a question asked at, at one of the pre-practice media sessions. I, I can't remember. Who, I think it was maybe Ben Baby, actually, who had asked him about the, you know, do you know what your Madden rating is? Do you know where you're rated and all that kind of stuff? He's like, I don't care about that. And then he was like, well, wait, kind of kind of tell me. Tell, I'll, I'll listen now. So, I mean, I think in, in some part of Jesse Bates' mind, obviously, he wants to be respected. Obviously, he wants to be looked at as one of, if not the best safeties in the game. He wants to be paid like that. But there's a lot of things, and he has been one of these guys and one of the core guys, like a Tyler Boyd, who has been part of the chorus line, who has said, I want to be here. I want to be here long term. I, I, I would like to get it done. Um, and, and so I, I think there is a part of him that's also like, yeah, I want to get paid. I want to get paid top dollar, but I want this done so I don't have to think about it, number one. And number two, I want to be in Cincinnati. At least it seems that way as he's talking to folks in the media. So, uh, you know, I, I, I guess to your question and to the question from Mark here, um, I think it is important that he is paid top dollar. But I think also, I, I do believe that this will get done. I think the Bengals, I mean, look at their social media. They're, it's almost like a two or three times a week thing. They're, they're putting out something about Jesse Bates. So I, I think they're going to to get this done. Um, it's just a matter of what it will look like. And I think it'll be a, a top safety contract, but I think that it'll change by the time spring rolls around too, probably. There's probably going to be, you know, with the March free agency frenzy, there's probably going to be some other contract that blows it out of the water and resets the market. <clears throat> Excuse me. In terms of safeties, in, the, in that market, like it just passed the $60 million mark or the $15 million per year mark with Justin Simmons this pe- um, earlier this offseason. And I think Jamal Adams of the Seattle Seahawks is looking to exceed that um, in his negotiations with the Seahawks. I think that is more or less what it's going to look like. And luckily for the Bengals, there is some form of precedent for a deal like that. You have to look six years ago to A.J. Green. He signed a four-year extension worth $60 million, right at the $15 million per year year mark which kind of tells you the difference between how the receiver market has accelerated way past that point and the safeties are just now getting to that but that is where the top of the market stands Bengals literally have negotiated almost this exact deal six years ago the total guaranteed money on that contract i believe was 32 million like in total guarantees but like 26 million was fully guaranteed so that number is going to be around there as well so there's no excuse for them not to get this deal done. It's literally just set for them right there. There's a prime example. That's where the market is and everything that Anthony just said. There's no reason why they shouldn't be interested in extending him. They've obviously expressed clear interest in doing so. And I think that's exactly what they're going to be doing for the next couple of days, couple of weeks, however long this takes. Before week one begins, Jesse Bates will sign a contract that looks very similar to what AJ Green signed six years ago. So we had another call a minute ago that unfortunately we couldn't get to. We were answering some other questions, but we did. We we got it. We got this one in, and it's 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 the regular segment on the listener questions live. It's Terrell time. Terrell, what's going on, buddy? How you guys doing, man? Just just feeling good with the Bengals, man. Joe Burrow looking real yoked up like he Captain America <laughs> just with everything, man. Uh, and I'm just saying. Oh no, man! He's just burning everybody out there. But uh, I gotta say, man, I got I got a I got three people who I'm I'm putting the heat on, and I got a couple guys I'm putting the spotlight on. Uh, the three people I'm putting the heat on, man, I gotta say, uh, I gotta say, Jonah Jonah Williams. Hmm. Okay. And um, the the second one, sample. And Drew, then the third sample, one, I assume, Trey, not Cam. Yes, sir. Okay, and, and the third uh, one, and um, and the third one is uh, Trey Wayne. Trey Wayne. I just, I just feel like they got a lot to prove. Do some crucial positions, y'all. They get penciled in at some crucial positions, and I feel like they okay. But I just want a lot, uh, uh like production. And then a couple guys, you know, so I just feel like, I just feel like maybe, you know, Thad Mouse, 
you know, he might he might do something and uh Chris uh Chris Evans, man, he 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 looking like he I am I'm feeling him though, man. He he looking he looking real crazy out there though, man. <laughs> Well, that's that's awesome, Terrell, and uh, we we will talk about your your spotlighted oh, yeah. and under under fire players here. Uh, are you are you going to be making it out to camp practices or the event on Saturday I, or anything I, I tried, like that? I'm trying to, man, but they it's real difficult because I think they they're doing about like an online type thing, and they want to draw a lottery type thing for the thousand, maybe. I think people heard. So I'm trying, man. Maybe All I'll right. get picked up tomorrow. I don't know. All right. Well, if you do, let us yeah, know. Have but... a great one. Yep. Take care, buddy. Yeah, um, I... Oh, yeah, no problem. All yeah. right. See ya. Uh, interesting interesting three guys that he had. By, by the way, we had, like I said, we had a, another call or a few calls come through that we weren't able to get to. So please try again. We'll get you back on the air uh, as, as we are able to. But uh, always good to hear from him and his – Three guys uh, let off a little interesting with Jonah Williams. We were just talking about him and putting on a little bit of weight. Uh, Trey Waynes and Drew Sample. He said Sample. We wanted to make sure it was Drew Sample, not Cam Sample. It's like Cam Sample hasn't even played for them yet. He just got drafted, so it couldn't be him. But, uh, I, I mean, big year for those guys. And those those first two picks of Zach Taylor's first class, first draft class, um, I mean, there's there's been some bright spots, but it's been a lot of injuries. It's been a lot of missed time and some disappointments at other turns of their respective careers. So hard to disagree with those two. And and ironically, John, I was thinking about, you know, the Sam Hubbard contract earlier today. And we talked about that on Wednesday's show. But, you know, I was kind of like, well, there's not too many bad looking contracts on the Bengals roster at this point in time. They, they usually negotiate things pretty well for their side of things. And that Wayne's one still kind of sticks out like a sore thumb a little bit, especially after missing all of last year. I mean, that is the reason why it looks bad because we don't know what he is right now as a starting quarterback in this defense. But I mean, Wayne's and Williams, they have to play well. They're starters. They're counted on. They have to be serviceable players. I'm not sure how important though Drew Sample is in terms of him playing well. I think he'll always have that second round status attached to him and that will impact the perception of the player that he is. But at the end of the day, he's just a second string tight end on a team that has three star receivers, a star running back, and a good enough tight end in front of him. Like how how important really is Drew Sample, I guess? Like, because his most impactful aspect is his run blocking. That's his strength. And, you know, that's important to an extent. But like if Drew Sample doesn't become this this great tight end, it's not the end of the world for this offense. But I, I'm it would look great for Zach Taylor if he, if he develops into that because you know, that's the investment that they place in him. But I don't think there's that much pressure, I guess, on Drew Sample as maybe some fans kind of kind of see it as because unless an, another injury happens to Uzoma, it's not like he's going to be counted on for like, you know, more than 40 or so targets. And I think whatever role that they give him at this point, he'll, he should be able to handle it. He's in his third year, and that's usually when tight ends kind of start coming into their own and de- developing on their own path. Hard to hard to disagree with you there, and you know I think uh, we've talked about the myriad of offensive weapons and how things are gonna um, how things are gonna be spread out this year and in the years ahead with with Joe Burrow back and Jamar Chase in the fold and all of that. So you know Sample's gonna have a role. You've got Uzama coming back. He's probably going to be you know he he's taking the day off friday from what i can see but uh you know he's he's back from that achilles injury he's probably going to have an effect so i don't know that if you're talking about statistical numbers for drew sample i don't know like you said that they're ever going to be anything gaudy so uh but but good stuff from Terrell and uh you know some players i think we're all keeping a close eye on and john before we we talk about symbol and some other items we are graced with greatness I believe we have Jake Liskow from Locked On Bengals joining us on the phone. Jake, is are you there? I am here, guys. How y'all doing? Hey, good to hear from you, man. What's new? Well, I figure, you know, if if I could just call into the show, if this is if this is what I got to do to get on your show, I'm here. I'm hey, ready for it. Open invite whenever you want, man. I, you're you're one of the busiest guys <laughs> in the biz, dude. So uh, whenever whenever you want on, well, we'd love to have you. Well, I, I have a question for you guys. Okay. I'm ready. All right. Um, which which of these hype trains are you – all right, how do I want to say this? Are you more willing to get behind or do you think is, is more interesting? 
And the two hype trains on the Bengals right now, the people people seem to love. And, and I'm not fully getting the hype yet. Is behind Puka Williams, who I, I don't know what position he's playing yet. And I don't know how <laughs> yeah. important a punt returner actually is anymore. I mean, I know it's important, but anyway. And, and the other one is Evan McPherson, where, yes, he's a kicker that looks to be, uh, you know, not Randy Bullock. And, and that's a big win for Bengals fans. <laughs> but which, uh, which hype train are you more behind and do you think is more important? That's a great question. John, you want to you start off? Well, Jake, um, I know one of them is going to make the team, so I guess that is where I, I park, I plant my flag there. Puka's weird, or like, it's not weird because he 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 looks like us. He's he's a small, he's on the smaller side, and he runs really fast. And he was productive in college, and that's what garners the attention of a lot of fans is the guys with the ball in their hands. But at the end of the day, if he makes the team, he's either the sixth receiver, seventh receiver, or fourth running back, and that's still a big if. And we talked about that on here, like what needs to happen for him to make the roster. But I, I mean, I know that McPherson's a good kicker already, and I know that he's got the best chance of making the team at kicker. So if I have to get on a hype train for one of those two, I think McPherson's a clear choice. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you on McPherson just because, I mean, you, you're, you've got him inked in on the, on the special teams lineup and we already saw some clips of him booting balls that, you know, threw uprights from way far away. And, uh, you know, I think some people on the bridge got some clips of that. My, my thing with Puka though, I, I'm ex- I, I would be more excited about it if I was pretty, if I was a little more clear on the plan with him, he's been working with the wide receivers. He's been doing some punt return stuff. He's a running back by trade in college. I mean, is the plan going to be, you know, they're going to actually kind of get cute and creative with him like they did back in the day with Andrew Hawkins? Are they going to utilize him in certain packages that create good mismatches? Or is he just a, a niche college player that may find a small special teams role and that's about it? I don't, I don't know. Um, so if, I, I think if I was a little more clearer on the plan with with Puka and if they kind of said, hey, you know, we've got some some pretty neat designs specifically for this player on offense He's going to be an electric punt return guy. I would, I would maybe be a little bit more behind that. But I think to your point, Jake, um, the, the the Evan McPherson, the Evan McPherson thing is just you know you, you got to have a guy that you can think come close to something that Justin Tucker gives you: deep kicks, kicking in bad weather, you know, higher accuracy, that sort of thing. Um, so that's that's my take. Who do you, who do you what who are you more behind between those two? Well, you almost got me excited for Puka Williams with the Andrew Hawkins idea. Yeah. But then I remembered that Puka Williams doesn't know how to run routes. Right. He's not a wide receiver. Right. So, you know, then I was thinking, no, we, we talked about this yesterday on, on Lockdown Bengals, too, which is why I was thinking about it today. And you mentioned what I thought was funny is they both look like us build-wise. Or you said Puka looks like us build-wise. I think Evan McPherson does, too. And it's, it's not necessarily a good thing when you're talking about a, maybe a little bit more rocked up, a little bit more athletic running back receiver kind of build versus your kicker build. But, uh, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing the path for Puka. I, I preface this by saying I'm not sure how important punt returner is, yeah. especially in a modern NFL where teams are punting less. And, how and you know, there's some questions about the Bengals' defense, too, I think, that, that play into that a little bit. But uh, then, then the thing with McPherson is, I, I, you, you threw out Justin Tucker's name, and and why you got to do that to the kid, man? <laughs> I know, like, already already placing high expectations he, on him, right? <laughs> he, let's just let's just let's just shoot for like Shane Graham plus, uh, yeah. plus a little distance right now. You know, let's let's be fair yeah. to the to the young kicker, the the rookie. But to me, the question isn't which height train is more important, but it's actually which height train is like sillier. But I thought that was too negative, and and I said it anyway. But. <laughs> You know, I'm excited for a kicker not to have calf cramps. Let's just say that. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, Jake, Jake you, you've been covering this team for as long as us, and you know that there's a history with running backs and receivers on this team that get hyped through the roof during training camp. We can go back to Benny Brazil, Dane Sonsenbacher, Didi Dorsey, even Brian Leonard. Like, this is just natural for Bengals fans, right? Hey, man, Brian Leonard was a valuable role player. That, that guy was awesome. A, had a very important catch. In one of my favorite Bengals games of all time, that uh, what game? I think it was it was a, it was a late season win over the Steelers. Steelers, yeah, maybe yeah. I'm confused oh, my games right now. Yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, you know, what about Bernard Scott? I mean, at least mm-hmm. Bernard Scott did something, I guess. But uh, I have a hard time seeing the path to make the team for Puka. And and maybe this is too much conversation about uh, an undrafted guy and a kicker. One other question. John, I'm assuming you're going to Paul Brown tomorrow? I'm not. But for anyone who is, uh, Daddy O. McDuke is. And he'll be with his family. So if you guys want to harass him, he'll be down there. There you go. Yeah, just make sure you get on that family, interrupt their family time. I, I, I would, I really need to hear more about Deontay Smith, man. I, I, I heard this hype from Brian Callahan a couple times this off season. He's talked up Deontay Smith, and uh, I, I haven't heard anything now that training camp's actually started. I know they're not in pads yet. I know it's not time to hear about the offensive line yet, but. Callahan seemed pretty excited for Deontay Smith, man, and, and so I'm excited to hear about him after we get to see him go against some of these defensive linemen. That's a that's a great point because of all the Pollock quotes and Pollock stories that have come out over the last basically 18, 24 hours, um, that, that name has not really been mentioned. That was one of my, my quietly favorite picks of this draft just because of the athletic profile and the upside that is there. So um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, that's a guy I'm, I'm, like you, I am curious to, to find out a little bit more about, um, you know, he was a guy, I think, you know, he was on and off what the COVID list last year. And then he, he lost some weight, tried to put weight back on and um, just kind of had a, a weird path as a lot of players did last year, but a guy that probably a year or two down the road could develop into something that, that could be serviceable, if not, you know, something, something pretty good for this team. Yeah. Uh, I think he, uh, yeah, he had, the, he had the COVID close contacts, couldn't get into the gym with his team at a small school in the first place. But the, the Bengals have been really pleased with his ability to keep on weight. And they're really pleased with the, with his athleticism, with his build. Like he's like like we talked about when they drafted him, I'm sure you guys did too, one of the only tackles in the draft that actually had length. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the fact that he's been able to keep weight on is, is fantastic for them. And I, I just, for whatever reason, I'm bullish on him. And I try not to get too bullish on, you know, late mid-round picks, backup kind of guys, developmental kind of guys. But for whatever reason, I'm excited about his profile. So I hope we get to hear something about him. I was surprised when, maybe not surprised, but maybe a little let down that we didn't hear Frank Pollock talk about him at all today. But, hey, thanks for letting me call in. I'll let you guys get back to your show. I don't want to dominate your entire podcast here. So I'm going to I'm going to do what they do on the radio i'm gonna hang up and listen all right well jake you you and james keep up the uh the work we just try and keep up with what you guys do you guys kill it and i would love i know john would as well maybe in the next couple of weeks if you got some time i know you're, you're very busy but we would love to have you on do a full show with you um and uh keep up keep up all the great stuff you guys do Look, I'm happy to do that, but don't put words in John's mouth and say that he would love to have me on. No, man, Jake, Jake needs the YouTube experience. Like him and the Locked On crew, they're doing YouTube stuff now, and Jake needs some experience with that. So we'll be happy to oblige with that. All right, guys, I'm going to hang up and listen. See you later. Take it easy, Jake. Uh, that was Jake Liskow from Locked On Bengals. Uh, great to hear from him. First time he's called in. He's he's submitted a couple of chat questions. Great guy. We got to get him. We got to get him on. He's done. Uh, he's done some stuff with Matt. I think he he maybe did something with you uh, a little while ago, and uh, he's just he's a busy guy. He and James are a couple of the busiest guys out there covering the Bengals, and they do an awesome job doing it. But uh, great to have him stop by the show and talk some Bengals, of course, as expected, submitted some great questions for us to talk about and think about. We're going to get to a few more before we do, John. This show, as the others in recent months, have been presented by Symbol. S-I-M-B-U-L-L. This is the stock market for sports. I'm going to share the screen here so you can look at the site itself. Symbol is the stock market for sports. It's where you can go and make a long-term play and invest in certain teams that you want to invest in and that you think you can make some money on, whether it's ones that you're actually passionate about and you make some money on teams that you are a fan of. What's better than that? Or ones that you just feel are undervalued and could be risers over the next couple of weeks, months, years. It is a long-term play, but it is something that you need to add to your sports betting, fantasy sports repertoire. If you're a fantasy sports player, if you bet on sports, if you play the stock market outside of sports, this is something that's got to be in your wheelhouse. And John, there is a promo going on if they mention the show, right? 
Absolutely. If you guys want to sign up as for your first time with Symbol, enter the promo code OBI. You can get a $10 deposit bonus to invest in any NFL, NBA, MLB, and now starting in July, college football teams. There's been a lot of news with college football recently, with NIL and the, and the Big 12 imploding on itself. Currently, Oklahoma is at $63.59 market price. Texas, their other SEC um, immigrant, is at $43.01. So if you guys think that they have promising futures or will eventually downfall in the SEC, you can try to, your luck with those teams. In the NFL, you still have the Bengals at $56.56, still on the higher price for all 32 NFL teams. But it really is the stock market for sports. It's long-term investing in terms of which teams you think are going to succeed over the long term. Symbol's a lot of fun to add into your fantasy football or investment resume. Go take advantage of that $10 deposit bonus when you go sign up. Go to symbol.app backslash OBI and go on there. Use the promo code OBI and get your $10 deposit bonus to go towards your next investment with them. Good stuff there. John, where are we going next? So we had a question from Joshua Patterson about half an hour ago. He was asking about um, will the Bengals try and trade Billy Price for an early day three pick? I feel like we've gotten this question a few times in the last few months. And it, like, it makes sense to me in terms of just a guy that you know is not going to be starting in week one, but has experience, has the draft. Um, he has that first round label attached to him. So you think there is some value to him. But honestly, when I think about it, I think they still value price enough to keep him around. And I, I think that perceived value of him does not match whatever they could get on the on the trade market i think there would be some fans that would accept like a fifth or a sixth round pick for price if they could ever get that but even if that's what they they were offered anthony i don't i don't foresee the bengals um dealing him away for for that measly uh late round pick i don't think i don't see it either and here's why number one we just had a conversation where jackson carmen per frank pollock did not ready to take over a starting position. Now, Billy Price is not in one of those starting guards guard positions. Um, Trey Hopkins has been cleared. So the center position seems to be at least fortified there. So Billy Price is still kind of a backup, but he's a swing backup guy. Okay. And there's value to that playing either guard spot, potentially center. He could, he could in a pinch theoretically play those spots. And then the other thing is, he has been one of the biggest proponents of Frank Pollock, and I think that the team will see what they can get out of him, even if it's backup status. With Frank Pollock back, they're going to see what they can get out of him to help out the team this year. And I, I don't think if you deal him off somewhere, I don't think that the trade yield will be very high anyway. So it's kind of like where we've seen this offensive line be at in recent years, where we've seen some of these injuries hit – the interior offensive line issues, um, and yes, he has been part of that. I still think that he is he is valued among this this coaching staff, particularly with Frank Pollock back. So that's that's why I don't foresee a trade there. Yeah, I mean, it's basically it. Like this is even though they've become more progressive in this regard in terms of trying to get some value for players that are not in the long term plan. That's still something that you can likely bet against, just because they can potentially get some form of draft capital for essentially a failed first round pick doesn't mean that they're going to, it means that they're going to squeeze out whatever he can still give the current team and then kind of go from there. We're going to be here for a couple more minutes, answering some more questions. We're seeing them in the Facebook on Cincy jungles, Facebook post on Twitter, whether that's on the orange and black insider, Twitter account, Cincy jungles, Twitter account, um, or our YouTube channel. We're answering all those. There's a post on Cincy Jungle, a comment thread there. You can leave those there. Or you can call and text 949-542-6241. Saw a couple questions as to what the phone number was again, 949-542-6241. Get your call in, get your text in before we get on out of here. It's going to be another couple minutes answering some questions. It's been a good show and a, a couple of uh, surprise surprises, I guess, and a nice surprise. And Jake Liskow from Locked On Bengals joining us on the phone. That was cool. So let's go with this one. James Holly on Facebook has asked a couple of them. Um, 
this is another guy I feel is very important in this draft class that he references here. How much playing time do you guys think Joseph Osai gets? I, I don't, I think it'll be, well, I'll let you go first. I'll let you go first on this one, John. Let me do some quick research here on the old pro football focus website. Just going back to 2017, a certain fourth round rookie from that class had approximately 630 snaps on defense that, you know, that includes special teams. Let me get that out of there. Um, Carl Lawson played 477 snaps in his rookie year back in 2017, which is about, if I'm just trying to do imaginary math in my head, probably played about a thousand snaps in total on defense. So about 45% of the team's defensive snaps. I think that's a good benchmark for Joseph Asai, basically like the same role. You have two starting defensive ends in Hendrickson and Hubbard. You need some form of a pass rush in case, one or if not both of those guys can't always get it done on third down. Plus you could be moving one of those guys or maybe both of them inside on, on occasion or maybe dropping back into coverage. Osai is going to get snaps every single week, probably in the 15 to 20 a game range. And obviously injuries can impact that he can get more. But I think their ideal plan is to just use him on passing downs, progress th- that role as the season goes on. And I think if he stays healthy, anywhere above 400 total snaps by the end of the year is is in reach and in reason for him. That's some some strong data. And I may be out of my depth in what I'm going to say here. But here's what I would like to see. And, and using kind of your, your data points that you provided there, John. I know the Bengals view him as a little bit of a project and they want to round out some of the finer areas to make him a a more complete NFL edge player, that sort of thing. Um, There's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of uh, talent to mine for, for this coaching staff. But what I would like to see is I would like to see them see the team put him at least very early in his career in a position to do what he does best, which is rush the passer and not try and work in all these things at once for a young player who may have some uh, things that they want to work on in terms of quote unquote projects, round out some of those finer areas uh, as an edge rusher. This team needs pass rush help. They need pass rush. And so as a rookie, I think they need to say, you know what, we've got a lot of things we want you to work on. Um, you know, there, there's still some, some finer areas that we need to tune up, but for now, at least early in your career, we want to just have you rush the passer, do what you do best. We'll, we'll coach you up from that aspect. And then the other areas we can work on gradually as your career unfolds. I, I think, you know, the Bengals have these grandiose plans at times with players that they, you know, it's this, it's this project guy. There's so much talent there and they try and throw all these things at them and then they never really get that great these project players don't really get very good at one specific area or the area that they kind of shined at in college and then their career kind of doesn't really go anywhere with the team we've seen that with a lot of project players in the past so i i don't know i i, I may be off off base in, in saying what i'm saying but i would just like the team to say rookie year joseph osai we're going to give you rotational pass rush snaps let's do it they kind of did that with carl lawson right i mean they they eased it they said you're a pass rusher. We're going to, they, they kind of tinkered with the outside linebacker designation with him, but I mean, he was rushing the passer. And so that's what they did early on. And then they tried to coach him up from there and he blossomed. I hope it's kind of the same thing early on for Joseph Osai. Still 21 years old, only one true year in Texas as a um, pass rusher with his, with his hand in the dirt. And it's going to sound weird, but I think if you look at what they did with the linebackers last year, specifically Akeem Davis Gaither, they didn't give him too much on his plate. They had like very simple roles for him as a coverage defender on, on passing downs, and they kind of increased that role, increased the snaps of him on the field as the season went on. So I think there is precedent for this coaching staff to you know, figure out a, a simplified plan for these first-year players, especially guys who are kind of learning these new positions as they're in the NFL. So I think there is confidence that they're going to do Osai justice in this first year. I wanted to get to Mr. Whisper, his question a couple – couple minutes ago he's asking aside from the receiving game game what do you feel is our is the team's biggest greatest strength right now aside from the receiving game well honestly i would say uh i, I would say the back end of the defense the safety group is is probably one of their better areas especially 
what we saw out of Von Bell the second half of the year. We talked glowingly of Jesse Bates. And then, of course, they bring in kind of a swing, versatile guy in Ricardo Allen. Um, you know, so they've got they've got players in the in the safety position that I think can can do a lot of different things. And unfortunately, a lot of pressure, particularly on Von Bell, a lot of pressure pressure was placed on that position group last year because of injuries and inefficiencies in the play with the defense in front of them. So they were they were asked to do a lot and carry the defense. And now the hope is with some additional pass rush help with some additional resources allocated to stopping the run with some growth at the linebacker group. Now you can really free those guys up and do some things. Let Jesse Bates be Jesse Bates, which was an all pro level last year. Von Bell really played very well at the end of the season last year. First half of the season was a struggle. Second half of the season was very good. And then hopefully Ricardo Allen thrives in, in Lou Anarumo's defense going back there. So that's one of the areas um, that I think, I mean, obviously you can say quarterback, but behind Joe Burrow, I mean, if, if the Bengals need to, God forbid, go that route again this year, um, I'm a little iffy on that. So I, I guess I would say the safety group just kind of off the top of my head. Yeah, I was going to go with just the entire starting secondary. I think no matter where you look at with this team, aside from the receiving group, there's there is a hole. And I guess, you know, if you want to just go position by position, like running back is strong, maybe offensive tackle is, is stronger than it's been in years past. But in terms of like general position groups and just areas of the team, I would say the starting secondary. There's not really like a big glaring hole. I think Pro Football Focus ranked it like 15th. And in their synopsis of that ranking, they said there's just no glaring weakness here. Like it's led by Jesse Bates, who's great and everything with that. But there's no real one liability, at least known liability. I think you're expecting Trey Waynes to be fine. Jadobi Wuzier to be the best version of himself, which is still a, a decent player. And Mike Hilton, who's a great slot cornerback. You pair them with those two safeties. Like you have a pretty decent starting secondary that – shouldn't be as tumultuous as it has been in years past. Yep. Yeah, I think that's that's a good assessment. Well, we, uh, we're going to be here a couple more minutes. We have been joined. It's it's a veritable celebrity uh, celebrity showcase day. We had Jake Liskow join us on the phone. We've got Jeff Trenopal joining us, stra- otherwise known as Strawberry Ice, in the live Facebook chat. And we have Derek, otherwise known as the Orange Arrow, joining us on the phone. Derek, are you there? I'm here. How are you? Good. Sorry to keep you waiting there a little bit, but thanks for hanging on. What's what's going on? Dude? Oh, it's all right. You know, first time, long time. I I had to get that that out of the, the <laughs> books right right off the bat. You know, but uh, actually, the first thing I wanted to say is you're kind of sliding the uh, the FedEx Air Player of the Week a little bit. Who who's that? Brandon Allen. Uh- <laughs> That was that. Was that against the Houston, the the Houston game? Yeah, that was yeah. A, that was the Houston game. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, what my question was, I know we we had Jonah and uh, Frank talking. I think it was today about how uh, Jonah. I guess he put on ten pounds or so of muscle, and, and he was working on his build a little bit. I guess Frank said something about along the lines of he needed to get big, bigger because to play that position. But my, my question was, do you guys see potentially have him, or having him um, switch with with Riley Riley Reese somewhere like midseason do we, or something like that? I know I know switching from left tackle to right tackle, it, it's not easy, but... Uh, well, I, if that happens that's probably a sign that things are not going very well uh, along the offensive line. And namely with Jonah Williams uh, and John, I want to get your, your thoughts on this. I, the Bengals have seemingly committed to Jonah Williams as their left tackle. And so much so that they brought in a veteran tackle who has played at a high level in the NFL and said, sorry, you're playing right tackle. And so that's, they didn't draft another left tackle and move Jonah inside. In fact, they drafted a left tackle and moved him inside. Uh, is is, is kind of how it shows how much they are in invested into Jonah Williams. The thing I like about it, if the ten pounds he put on is most, if not all, strength, muscle mass, what have you. I mean, when you're going up, I know you know these teams switch up their their matchups and whatnot. But when you're going up a lot against a lot of these edge defenders, these premier edge defenders in the AFC North, um, you got to have that strength. You got to be able to anchor. And um, you know, I think that might have been a little bit of 
Frank Pollock's mindset, particularly John, with the Jonah having a little bit of the shorter arms, you gotta you gotta be able to add some strength and do other things to mask that deficiency potentially. Yeah, my thing is that if they don't want Jonah Williams to play left tackle, assuming that this is the scenario, if they feel like they need to change change things up, I don't think that they would switch Jonah from left to right. I think they would just have Jonah ride the bench if things yeah. do go that a-, a-, a wire. Like Jonah hasn't taken a, a rep. At right tackle since he was a freshman or a sophomore at Alabama. And I know Riley Reef comes in with a lot of experience at left tackle, but the plan is always for him to be at right tackle. I, I feel like if they have to make a change, they would go to the bench for another option to left tackle because like, I, I don't know how moving Jonah to the right would, I guess, solve his issues unless he's been secretly working at that position um, ever since he came to Cincinnati. So it, it's an interesting idea, but I don't think there's a lot of practicality to it. And let's, let's not forget... I mean, the right side is still going up against a lot of premier edge rushers as well. So, I mean, while he may be facing a Miles Garrett on the left, um, you know, you flip him over to the right. T.J. Watt has has been known to <laughs> uh, abuse Bobby Hart on the right side, right? I mean, Vaughn Miller has has done some things against Bobby Hart in years past. Those are two guys that are gonna, they're going to be playing against this year. So, you know, um, you know, I, I don't know that if he's going to be struggling on the left side, particularly in pass pro, I don't know that things are going to get that much easier at right tackle in terms of competition he faces and or like to John's point, he hasn't really been taking snaps at right tackle for a very long time. So, you know, I think it's at this point, I think it's kind of for Jonah sink or swim at left tackle, do what you can and write out this rookie contract stay healthy, put on some bulk and utilize the, the the technique that both the technique and the study habits that were really, really coveted uh, made him a, a coveted prospect in the draft. So that's, I think that's our take on it, Derek. All right. I, I like to hear it. I like to hear it. I just wanted to say one thing. Um, I, I know you, you brought it up earlier, but everybody needs to go out and donate to your guys and go find me for sure. Well, I appreciate that. And I know you, I, I think you had told me you donated. So we greatly appreciate that. We appreciate what you're doing in the fantasy football league to benefit Joe Burrow's hunger relief fund. So uh, if you want some information, go hit up the orange arrow on Twitter for that. He's got some tweets out on that. And then of course he's, he's uh, got a lot of information on that. And then John, he, I did see Derek wanted to know if you're going, you, you had already mentioned you're not going to the event tomorrow, correct? At uh, Bengals training camp. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm I'm not, but um, I I don't think you're gonna find a shortage of, of other of other fans there. Um, so a- anyone who goes down there, definitely let us know on Twitter and stuff like how it was because yeah. it seems like a lot of fun. Yeah, and we'd love to see what you what kind of photos or whatever else you got. Derek, take care, buddy. Good hearing from you. Absolutely. Who day? All right. Uh, any others you want to get to before we bounce on out of here, John? We're coming up on an hour here. Yeah, I guess we can close out with this general question. We had a few questions about uh, linebackers, and specifically, I think Logan Wilson. Show that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think Logan Wilson was was mentioned in one of them. How do you feel about Logan Wilson taking that big step? I think he is the key to our run D from Hans Molman, and I believe there was another who asked about the three rookie linebackers from last year. Do you foresee a notable jump from them, considering this year they have a full off season with OTAs and training camp and preseason? I think our good buddy Joe Goodberry relayed the information that uh, Lo- Logan is now uh, – he has the, the earpiece, right? And then mm-hmm. he has the headset in his helmet now. So he's kind of calling the, de- the defense, whether that means he's going to be out there for – you know, if, if he's going to turn into this three-down linebacker, I don't know, or if he's going to be out there for more snaps this year. I would assume he's going to be out there for more snaps this year because that would show some nice growth by him. But – um, that's a significant step. And that obviously shows that Lou Anarumo and Zach Taylor have a lot of trust in this kid. And it also plays back to a lot of college experience, right? One of the things that they liked about him was his football IQ, his ability to read angles, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, he's a little bit older in terms of a second year player and they, they obviously feel comfortable with that. I like I like the linebacker secretly. We we previewed them a few weeks back, I think, on one of our shows, John. And um, I, I like that group a little bit more than they're given credit for. But again, it's about utilizing these guys to respective strengths. I, I think, you know, there's Logan Wilson kind of does a lot of different things pretty well. 
you know, Davis Gaither, he can rush the passer. He can do some different things. It's just putting these guys in positions to succeed. And I hope Anna Rumo and Taylor do that. Yeah, I think Wilson's going to be fine. Um, they obviously have a lot of trust in him already. And I think he showed enough towards the end of the season before he got injured that he was on the right path. Same thing goes for Davis Gaither, who, again, had more of a limited role. But I think that's going to slightly expand this year because, you know, you don't have Josh Bynes there anymore taking snaps. Biggest question for me is how much more involved does Marcus Bailey get? Is he just right now just a special teams player? Like, does he even see a lot of time with, with the defense when, when it's out there in meaningful snaps? And who really is Jermaine Pratt right now? Like, a third-year player, really underwhelmed last year as a starter. He's going to be a starter again, at least to open the season. I guess how hot is his seat maybe and how much does he need to improve? Because – there's not a lot of tape out there that's on of the positive kind. And I know that, you know, these guys were struggling last year with communication and stuff, and there's only so much that Josh Bynes could do from that front. But I think he is the guy with the biggest um, spotlight on, on him because if he doesn't perform well, there there are guys like Bailey and Davis Gaither who are chomping at the bit for more snaps. It's funny. We just, we, <laughs> it's almost like we forget to talk about Pratt. It's just that we always talk about the three linebackers last year. We talk about some of these tweener guys and it's just for some reason, Pratt always gets lost in the shuffle. It's just, I, I don't want to say it's funny, but it's just kind of, at least for me, it's just a little bit of how it is. And um, I don't know. I, it's a good point though. I mean, he's another guy that we, he was a converted safety at, in college, right? He played safety for a little bit, then they moved him to linebacker once he got a little bigger and uh, found some success there, but hasn't really latched on too much at the NFL level. And almost every week, inevitably, John, I get some question from somebody asking, well, what's going on with Josh Bynes? Why isn't he back? Well, Bengals like who they have. And the only other thing, I mean, if there's injuries or whatever that happens there, maybe Josh Bynes, it gets a call, but uh, the only other thing I really see the, the team doing is going after that position after final cuts and maybe scouring the waiver wire for somebody they like. Yeah, they have eight right now, and they're not going to play more than two for most of the game, so they're fine depth-wise until potentially injuries kind of ruin those plans. And, yeah, there was a chance that Bynes could come back if they weren't as confident with these linebackers, but I think Lou and Arumo has praised both Wilson and Pratt in terms of their offseason work and OTAs and in the, in the meeting rooms and whatnot. So I think that has now carried over to the training camp. And now it's just about seeing these guys play. It's a young position group. Jordan Evans is still there, I guess, to provide some level of leadership and special team stability. But, you know, there is enough here to make it work. And I think especially if the, if the defensive line plays better, then the linebackers are naturally going to play better. Those two kind of work off each other like that. And, I think the linebackers could benefit from having some healthy defensive linemen in front of them for once. That that's correct. And again, I think we've we've kind of said it. I don't I don't know that the Cincinnati Bengals defense, based on the talent they've amassed on offense, um, really we we've kind of said this a couple of times. But Bengals offensive line and the Bengals defense really kind of need to be uh, average, maybe slightly above average, if they're top half of the league in terms of performance in major statistical categories. I think that's a recipe for a lot of success because of the other areas on the team that are pretty talented, but we will see. John, uh, that's going to do it. We've, we've put in another hour. It's been, uh, it's been a long week on, on the program, a lot of long shows, but some really, really awesome ones. We had uh, Iceman, Strawberry Ice on Monday on the water cooler chat. We had Ken Anderson and Ken Riley, the second on our Wednesday show. We had a number of fun people call in and ask questions throughout this listener question show. And then um, if everything works out as it looks at, like it is going to, we've got Anthony Munoz set to chat with us next week. So um, big week this week, another week, big week on tap next week. And uh, thanks for all your work, man. I know this has been a long week. I, I appreciate it. Hey, man, you're the one doing, if I'm doing the math correctly, that's five and a half hours on air for you with only one arm. So kudos to you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm now, I'm, I'm now RoboCop status here. I, I got out of the casting <laughs> and I'm now in this brace thing. So uh, I'm going to put the donate link here one more time. Look, we, we hate to hound people for money. That's not what we're about. And, and this isn't money that's going to us. This is going to some really worthy causes. Hopefully, not only did you did you get some Bengals knowledge and some history from Ken Riley II, Ken Anderson, but you listened to what their foundations are doing. We're going to hear more about the Munoz Foundation as well and the great things they are doing. That's where this money is going towards. 
they need help because of last year. It was hard to, to raise funds, especially with the many in-person things they usually did. So um, we just want to help them out and we want to make a sizable donation, make an impact for what they do and uh, really just kind of give all of those players a pat on the back and, and a congratulatory handshake of sorts to, uh, you know, help out their foundations and whatnot. But thanks to those who have donated. Thanks to those of you who will be donating. We appreciate that. And uh, Hey, have a good week. If you're going to have, if you're going to go to that thing tomorrow at, at Bengals training camp, we'd love to see some stuff that you come back with, whether it's photos or videos or whatever, let us know how that goes. We will. Uh, we'd love to hear it. John, have a, have a good weekend, bud. You as well. All right. Take it easy, everybody. We'll see you next week.